FMX Network production. You cast me What's up, guys? It's Alex Gray, and you're listening to the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. That's all we need is more fake news, Pulp MX bullshit. It's quality, not quantity, all right, man? Welcome back to another episode of the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. I'm Darkside from the Moto X Pod Show, and we are about to discuss this week's Pulp MX Show. But first, I have to thank all of our amazing sponsors. You know all about Michelin Motorcycle Tires from the Pulp MX Show, and now I'm excited to announce that Michelin Bicycle Tires is a proud sponsor of the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. In 1891, Michelin patented the first detachable bead pneumatic bicycle tire, and to this day, Michelin continues to innovate and produce world-class podium finishing products for both road and mountain bikes. If you'd like to ride the same Michelin bicycle tires as mountain bike legend Cam Zink and the 2019 EWS champion Sam Hill, Stay tuned for more info about a Pulpamex discount code on Michelin Bicycle Tires. Follow at Michelin Bicycle on Instagram and check out bike.michelin.com for all the details on Michelin's extensive range of bicycle products. And of course, Guts Racing was established in 1990 as a premier off-highway seat manufacturing company, offering high-performance seat covers and foam for motocross, supercross, and off-road competition. Guts Racing has worked with every top rider at some point of their career, from Steve Lampson and Jeremy McGrath in the 90s, to Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart in the 2000s, and today with Rockstar Husky, Pro Circuit Kawasaki, JGR Suzuki, and many more. If it's style and performance you want, you've come to the right place. Check out GutsRacing.com for info on the many products offered, such as the Phantom Light Seat Foam. And those who ride dirt bikes, motorcycles, ATVs, and UTVs know Motorsport is the best place for OEM and aftermarket parts, riding gear, and accessories. Motorsports.com's dedicated team of gearheads have the knowledge and expertise to help get your ride working at peak performance and have you looking good, too. Whether you race on the track, ride on the trails, or commute on the street, make your next ride your best ride only at Motorsport.com. And, of course, don't forget to go to PulpMXShow.com for all the sponsored links and discount codes. If you want to be on the PulpMX Wrap-Up Show, or you have questions or comments, or you want to submit a question for the Hello Pookie segment, just send them to DarkSide at PulpMX.com. Okay, let's get to our guests. First guest of the night, brought to you by Guts Racing. From SGB Racing and Swap Moto Live, the one and only Alex Ray. What's up, eh, Ray? Uh, not too much, man. How's it going? Going good, man. Going good. Ready to uh, get into episode 417. But uh, my next guest is brought to you by Michelin Bicycle Tires from Fly Racing, uh, Jason Thomas. What's up, JT? Not too much. Appreciate you having me on. I know we've been talking about doing this for a long time yeah yeah i'm excited i didn't think it would actually ever happen (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh as you know my life is uh pretty busy so yeah i I have to say no to a lot of things but yeah i mean honestly you you've earned it and um you you waited your turn so i'm I'm happy to help back in for me it's more just time than anything yeah i know you're busy you said you got a 4 a.m flight uh, you, you and A-Ray both headed to Daytona this weekend, but Hey, before we get into the show, speaking of Day- Daytona, JT, um, you guys got some, uh, new gear coming out this weekend. You're a big sponsor of the Pulp MX show. So it, it definitely, uh, is part of the Pulp MX show. Talk about the kinetic mesh coming out. Yeah. So it's Daytona week, which means, uh, kinetic mesh typically every year for us. There was, uh, there was a year a few years ago where we were getting a little delayed, but, um, we really just try to time it for summer. You know, it gives uh, gives dealers something new to offer this time of year, which 
there's usually not a whole lot going on. And uh, a lot of the northeast and any, really anywhere north in the northern part of the country is just kind of getting rolling for riding. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's just on a different calendar and, and gets that season something going because it kind of flips. Like, if you go south, it's about to get hot and people start riding west. But if you go up north, it's just going to fall out and people start riding. So you have to give them something there, too. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, I get back on a bike next weekend, A-Ray. So uh, no, no, we're going to get back to some – some riding. You there, A-Ray? Yeah, what was that? I said, I'm getting back on a bike next weekend, so that should be uh, fun, right? After- oh, geez, man. <laughs> Are you going to ride your own bike this time? Yeah, yeah. Never never borrowed a bike again. Uh, absolutely never borrowed a bike again. Um, but All right, let's get this thing rolling. So we're here to talk about episode 417 tonight. Chris Kiefer. Travis Preston and Killian Rusk were all in studio with guests Trey Kennard, Caleb Russell, and Davey Coombs. A lot of highlights of this show. Uh, first thing I want to start off talking about is the legend Caleb Russell, uh, who came on. Talk about retiring uh, while on top. I think that's a good way to go out if you have that opportunity, JT. Um, you know, we have a guy obviously in the in the motocross, supercross world. One of your buddies, Chad Reed, trying to do that. You know, not necessarily on top, but. Still, you know, still making May and still a legend. Well, I think it's pretty interesting because I think he, I think he may wish he had gone longer one day. Yeah. And the reason I say that is he's going out on top, which is great, but I, I truly believe he has another two or three years where he could be unquestionably the best guy. And... You know, I don't know what money he makes. I'm, I'm sure it's pretty good money. I doubt it's on the level of the top guys. I strongly doubt that. But let's just guess he makes a significant six-figure number. That's really hard to, to do. <laughs> you know, even if he gets this, uh, this outdoor or this off-road uh, facility up and running, he's not going to make the kind of money he's making. Right. And just for me, I've been, I've been gone for eight years now. And I know how challenging it is to make numbers like that. Even if you have a great job, which I, I do, to make money like that just isn't really possible unless you own your own business or just walk into some dream situation. So, I mean, he's got to do what he wants. He's making the best decision for himself. But I think in a few years, he, and I've heard this time and time again, as guys look back and, and maybe they could have put another million dollars in their bank account and they wish they had. Yeah, Alex, uh, I mean, I, I think you and I both would probably love to have another million dollars in the bank account. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure, man. I mean, you know, and I understand where Keelan is coming from, you know, because, you know, I've been, you know, I've been a privateer pretty much, you know, my whole career. And, uh, and you know, I've, you know, questioned it myself, you know, but at the same time, it's like, for me, I would say just, you know, if, if I'm making the right steps, if I'm trying my hardest and I'm still getting better, then I can't see myself walking away because then I'll wonder, always wonder, like, what if? And I want to give it my, you know, 100% until, you know, until I, that day comes where I do give it up and decide to get a real job. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he, he mentioned, you know, having something to fall back on. Like JT talked about him trying to get this uh, off-road training facility going, like an Alden Baker program, which that at least he has something to fall back on or that he's working on. Uh, but he also mentioned the idea of like you know there's only one place to go when you're on top and that's down and there's this revolving door of newer, younger, faster guys always coming in and it sounds like that can be 
comes stressful, JT. Um, I mean, obviously, I've never been at that level, and um, I, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced that though in your career, where you know every year these these new guys come in and trying to take those spots away from you. Even even if you're not winning championships, JT, you're still trying to make the night show and earn a living, and there's always these guys gunning for you. Yeah, I'm sure he feels the pressure of winning is the only acceptable option. Um, you know, you see guys like Carmichael and Dungeon, they'll all retire at 27 years old for that exact reason, right? Yeah. The the pressure and the strain that both their training program and just the feeling of having to win, uh, it wears these guys down and forces them into what some would call early retirement. I don't really see it being any different for Caleb. Uh, and, and only he knows what he's going through. Because I truly believe that guys like Ricky and, and Dungeon Delphoto that I mentioned, I don't think they were enjoying themselves at all at the end. And that's why they stepped away. I, I think the fun had been, the fun was gone. Um, the expectation and pressure was completely the, the overriding feeling, and that's mm-hmm. not a great way to go to the races every weekend. Uh, but also you have to look at, for them, they make crazy money, right? You know, tens of millions of dollars in their career. So I think the situation is maybe a little different for them. I just, man, it's tough for me to look at it watching so many people go down this road. If Caleb could be in the, the running to win or at least sign the highest deals in, in the off-road world for the next two years at least, it's hard to not think that one day, maybe it's, maybe it's not next year, maybe it's not five years, but 10 years, 15 years, He's going to look back and say, man, I left the money out there. Uh, it's just hard for me to not think that'll happen. Yeah, and when, speaking of the money, and I want to ask both you guys this, uh, what about the championships, right? He says he's, uh, I think it, this is he's probably going to win his eighth this year, and I believe they said the record uh, was 10, if I'm not mistaken. Or So he could break, he could set a uh, record. He needed one more. Okay, yeah, one he needed, more. He needs one more. Yep. So as both of you guys being professional racers, if you were on in that, position that he's in right now is leaving those championships on the table a big deal would they be uh alex i mean what do you think if that if you were in that boat could you do that i mean i I mean i don't know i mean i guess you know when you train that hard for that long i mean if you you want to give it up if it's in the back of your mind then i say just go ahead and do it you never i mean yeah it's nice to have that to fall back on you know if you could win a few more championships but you know, like, I mean, if it's already in your head, I'd say just go ahead and do it because, I mean, then you're really just not having as much fun, you know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah. What about you, JT? What do you think? Personally, I didn't even know that that record existed. <laughs> so, and that's not, you know, that's not, I'm not taking a shot at anybody. I just don't think that's a widely reported stat. Sure. So, it didn't seem like it was a huge deal to him. And if it's not a huge deal to him, then it's probably not a huge deal to a lot of people. Um, I think for him, you look at it, I think he's the same as guys like Carmichael were, where if he's not winning, he doesn't want to be out there at all. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think just at the, the level he has to train at and commit to, I don't, I just don't think he wants to do that anymore. And and I understand it because if you, if you go out there and you're half-assing it, and let's look at like a guy like Bill Photo in the next GT that year, his heart wasn't in it. He was 15 pounds heavier than his, you know, typical race weight, and he's going out there and getting his butt kicked on the weekends. I don't think he was having a whole lot of fun. No, it didn't seem like it. You're probably right. Um, last thing on Caleb, 
he the comment got brought up, and I think it was Kiefer about you know maybe doing things like Ryan Sipes, where he does a lot of things that he's really good at or pretty good at. Is how he said it, and I almost felt like maybe I misinterpreted that Caleb kind of made it like yeah, I don't want to really be pretty good at a lot of things. I want to be really good at one thing. I, I took it probably take it out of context, but almost like a jab at Sipes, JT. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, but I also think that, you know, Caleb is supremely talented at off-road racing, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's very easy for a guy like Caleb to say that when you are one of the best to ever do a certain discipline. Uh, You know, Ryan Sykes isn't going to be the best ever off-road racer, which is what Caleb's approaching, you know? So it's it's easy to take that perspective when you have that option. Like for me, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to be the best at any discipline ever. So, I mean, it's a totally different perspective because you have to do, you have to do what, take what options are available to you. You know, if Ryan Sykes had the possibility of being the best flat track racer ever, maybe he would have done that, you know, but that's, it's, so it's a little bit of a different perspective when based on what options you have available to you. Good point. All right. Uh, another really hot topic in the last week that got discussed on Pulpmex the Star Yamaha ride, uh, A Ray, your guy, your guy swap. He got the he got the ride that's been talked about for weeks and weeks on Pulpamex. Kiefer was extremely hot. Um, let's get your side of it, A Ray. You know swap real well. Uh, Kiefer says, you know, hey, I, it's something along the lines of, if I was Don, I don't think I would have rode the bike. I, I don't know that I can see his point or his his thought on that, but I don't see that being a good business approach for a uh, swap, you know, I mean, you get a chance to do this, you got to do it. Yeah. You know, uh, like, I mean, obviously I, I know swap really well. I mean, he lives across the freeway from me. So I talked to him a lot. I honestly didn't even know until he was at Paula. And I was like, Hey, like, what are you doing? And he's like, dude, like these guys called me to, uh, to test the, uh, star bike. And I was like, Oh geez. <laughs> I was like, you going to do it? And he's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a whole thing, but I mean, I, I feel like I got to do it. Right. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's not like they, they had swap out there testing the bike. I mean, they had, they had Pat Foster out there, you right. know, he has a really good take on, on testing and stuff like that. You know, he was an old pro, he's super fast. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it definitely sucks for Max, you know, and I just think that, you know, I, I agreed with what Kiefer said, man, if you, like, if you say you're going to do something, you know, sort of do it. Don't get drug along. Um, yeah, I mean, I agreed 100% with Keeper. You know, like, that's one thing that, that a lot of us racers, it happens to us a lot. You know, like, we get promised a lot of stuff, and then it usually doesn't deliver or something like that. It sort of rubs you the wrong way. So, I mean, I get 100, 100% where Keeper's coming from. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I get both sides. I get swapped, you know, has to do it. You know, I mean, he has a business that he's trying to, uh, you know, maintain and, and, uh, you know, I get keeper side as well. You know, I just think that, you know, it was just a bad call on, on that Brad guy. Yeah. And I want to talk to you, JT. I think you may know a little more about this. You may know Brad, um, you know, and Steve, you know, Mathis kind of stayed his, his typical five, you know, he didn't seem to get too upset. Uh, or at least he did not on air, didn't admit to being that upset like Kiefer was, but give us what you know about this. Uh, because obviously it's a, it, Pulp Nation is huge, and Pulp Nation is pissed. Uh, Mathis talked about it being bad press for Yamaha, and maybe even Yamaha not being that happy that this went down the way it did. 
Um, what do you know about this Brad guy and the situation, or what can you talk about? Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, there's a, a serious disconnect between Brad and Steve, which is that's it's really old, right? And there's there's definitely some bad blood there going back several years ago, and to me, that's where this all stems from. Uh, I mean, Brad has really been, I don't want to say running a team, but he runs a big portion of it, certainly the technical aspects of it, and uh, I think I think part of it was Tony Chief, like they knew they were going to piss off Steve, and that was part of the the rub of it. Mm. Um, but I don't think it can be understated that uh, I don't think Brad likes Steve at all. So okay. I think that's part of it too. He, he knew he could really get under Steve's skin by doing it, and that's that's my take. Is that was it more than anything? That's that's crazy to me. I mean, be, I I wonder. I guess you saying that it changes my opinion a little bit. I was wondering if this guy knew how big the following of Pope is and really the, the footprint that Steve has in the industry. But apparently you say, sounds like he did and he did it on purpose. And that's mind blowing to me. Um, do you see, I, I don't know how it works so much. Do you see there being any repercussions from Yamaha? Uh, I'm sure there was, there were conversations about it, but at the same time, there's no way in my opinion that Brad could have done that without yeah. getting it signed off on. Right. So, right. Uh, I don't think he just made an executive decision by himself to allow a media outlet to go test the bike. So whose idea it was, I don't know, but I, I highly doubt that Brad just went rogue and did it himself. Okay. So yeah, I, I don't think he would put himself in a spot to get like severe punishment from Yamaha or anyone else without getting signed off on it. That's right. Not how I see that. Well, I feel bad for Will because I think Will Hahn's probably getting a lot of the uh, the blowback that's not justified towards him. Uh, but hey, JT, you made a comment Monday night that you said you know you felt it was shitty and that you wouldn't take it lying down. Uh, what what did you mean by that exactly? Like what? How would you respond if you were in Steve's shoes? I don't know. I mean, I, I would you know I would make sure that Yamaha felt how pissed off people were that mm-hmm. it was a, you know it was a slap in the face to a a media outlet that has very strong ties to Yamaha and Blue Crew. And uh, I know that, you know, Stephen Keeper have been wanting to do this for a very long time, and, and they were genuinely excited to do it. And, uh, yeah, it's not, not a great way to treat one of your, one of your, especially a media outlet you, you have a very strong professional relationship with. So, I mean, I don't think it's one of those things where it's tit for tat or I'm going to go try to get you in trouble. Right. But at the same time, I would make everybody and anybody know, they're like, hey, this guy did this and it was a slap I felt like it was a slap in the face to my organization and it's not cool you know and, and whatever happens past that I don't think anything will happen but it should at least be noted like this wasn't this wasn't awesome you know yeah, there are yeah. a lot of upset people that view this you know view this pretty poorly yeah okay uh before we continue JT um I think I mentioned this to you in a text there's been some listeners of Pulp that have called in and said that, you know, in the future they would like to get some newer listeners that would like to get to know the characters of the Pulpamex show, such as yourself and Alex and Randy Richardson and how they originally got involved. They don't know all the backstories because they haven't been listening. Um, so yep. hopefully in the future here, you and I are going to record something, and I'm going to do that with Randy as well and the guys. But uh, So we're not going to get into too much in how you got involved with Pulp originally, but I do want to let everybody know we're going to do that soon. So that will be coming and there is some new Hello Pookies coming, so you got to stay tuned at the end of this episode for one of those. Uh, okay, next uh, topic, A-Ray. Daytona this week, right? So Davey Coombs was on. This is a little un- – well, 
pretty unusual Supercross race compared to the rest. Uh, and he he made the the comment that this no race has changed as much as this race or as little as this race. Meaning, you know, over the years we've seen a, a massive evolution of the way the the track is and the race is held and the times and but at the same time it's always huge. It's Daytona. It's special. Um, what are your thoughts on Daytona, and do you agree with Davey? Yeah, I agree with Davey 100%. I mean, it went from, you know, daytime to nighttime. It went from a more outdoorsy, gnarly, rough track to a more supercross track with all of the gnarly elements with the sand and everything. So, uh, yeah, I agree with him 100%. Um, you know, I've been going to Daytona for a long time, and, uh, you know, it never disappoints, man. It, you know, it's just a crazy environment with the whole... Uh, you know, bike week and, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's its own animal. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's a pretty crazy event. JT was, I was looking through the vault. Was Daytona your very first supercross in 97? No, uh, Indy. So probably three weeks before that. So it went, I went Indy, Atlanta, Gatorback, Daytona. Okay. So that was back when Gatorback was, you know, yeah. the first nationals right in, right in early March there. So back in the old days. Uh, yeah, it would have been my, yeah, my third Supercross ever. Well, so I, you've, you've had some, uh, you know, top 15s. Like, I, I saw some 12s and some 14s. But overall, I mean, what did Daytona mean to you as a racer? Well, Daytona was my home home race, right? So, Gatorback was the first, you know, only one year of my career. And then uh, Daytona would be the one that never went away because we had times in Tampa times and Jacksonville times. But Daytona was always constant. And, you know, races like that, you get all your friends and all your family and people you went to high school with, you know, every kid that you ever grew up racing against, whether you kept in touch with them or not, would come by and, oh, remember me? And, you know, you just get all of that interaction, which is super cool. Everybody's parents that you spent all these weekends with at the races and all this stuff. So it was always a cool environment that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a race side, I think for me, Daytona always was a little bit less pressure. Okay. Um, I just always felt like I had more time to sort out my qualifying position, and the start wasn't everything. Uh, the races were way longer back then, especially. It was, uh, you know, it's still 20 laps. And back then, the, the lap times would be sometimes around 140. Right. You're talking, you're talking over 30 minutes main event, you know. So there was a ton of time there. Even on, even on the little bike, the main event would, was over 20 minutes. It would be like 22-minute main event. You had forever to sort out your, your qualifying position, and then you know trans, translate that in your to your heat race. Even the 125 heat race, you would be nine or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just had time to figure things out, and it wasn't this rat race of intensity where you, if you made one mistake, you were screwed, and you know it was this razor's edge of of uh, margin for error. So that always kind of calmed my nerves a little bit. I knew it would be more about uh, ability and, and fitness and all those things, and it was just just luck at times. And, uh, you know, it's just all those things kind of wrapped together and being at your home race. And uh, I could even drive home that night after the race if I wanted to because it was a, remember it was a day event for a lot of years, and uh, the main event would be over at, like, 520. Right. You know? So I could be home by, like, 7 or 8 at night <laughs> if I really wanted to. Uh, so it was just a cool event sure. for me growing up. To, to go to as a kid every year and watch and then, you know, transition that into my professional career too. Yeah. And Alex, having Davey Coombs on, obviously, you know, uh, runs and controls the Nationals, um, 
you know, and he kind of, I, I felt again, like he took a little bit of dig at a, a dig at Supercross where he's, you know, it's not cookie cutters, what he said. Um, I don't know, I like Davey. Davey's super knowledgeable. I love when he's on, but I still felt a little tension there. You know, I, I feel that national Supercross versus Supercross tension with him a little bit. Did you sense that at all, or is that just me looking in too deep into it? Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, you get a lot of comments, you know, like, oh, you have to be good at Supercross. All outdoors, like, I mean, I'm sure Steve has said it numerous times. He's like, dude, no one cares about outdoors. No one cares about outdoors. But it is the grassroots of the sport, you know. I mean, that's where you get your grassroots fans and stuff like that. So I sort of see, um, you know, I see both sides. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, I want to thank all the sponsors again, just real quick. Obviously, Michelin Bicycle Tires, Motorsport.com, and Guts Racing. And right now, if you go to Motorsport.com and buy a set of Michelin Starcross 5s, you get a $30 rebate. So can't beat that. Uh, always support the sponsors of the Pulpamex Show. Go to com. Click on the sponsor links for discount codes and links to the sponsors, including Fly Racing, obviously, who I just spent a bunch of money with this morning. So, yeah, hit those guys up. Support the show. Keep it rolling. Um, Killian Rusk, former, uh, privateer, I guess was in studio. Um, he now works for SRAM bicycles. Uh, JT, what'd you think about Killian? Uh, and he made some comments about SRAM that you, uh, you kind of want to touch on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was good. Fine. Yeah. Um, I, I've actually never really talked to him too much. I remember watching him race and, uh, yeah, I honestly, I commend him for finding his way outside of the sport. Yeah. Um, that's, something that you know a race you're gonna have to face one day and, and every guy that that race that didn't make you know 50 million dollars is gonna have to face <laughs> it's one scary. Day. it's it's freaking scary as shit dude, <laughs> <laughs> dude yeah, it's, and, it's scary well you got to go to motorcycleindustryjobs.com a ray oh i know i need to get on there and put in an application <laughs> real quick um you know the, the biggest thing i can tell you just on, on that topic is just start planning early right start working on relationships that you know you can go back to when that time comes because there is no, no such thing as, as too early, right? Too early to have a plan. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. thought it was cool that he's found his way and he, he's got a, a job with a, a company that's stable and it and seems kind of like a, a nice thing going there. So, um, But really the, the funny thing that stood out to me was the fact that when uh, you know Steve mentioned uh, to him about helping out privateers or helping riders or anything. It's like, no, no, I don't help anybody. If they want to buy something, that's fine, but I don't help anybody. Yeah, my, my Instagram I, I is it, private. <laughs> right. I think it took, took Steve, uh, kind of took him aback for a second because he's so used to the Pulp Nation kind of all helping privateers. And, you know, he reaches out to sponsors official all the time and, and gets help for, for his guys and guys that he knows. And, and I've, proudly been a part of you know helping where i can too so i think it caught feet off guard and yeah like huh like you don't help at all yeah <laughs> I he was, thought it was funny because he just kind of drew a hard line there that, and i don't think he hears that very often no i was a little surprised by it, it kind of, I, th- I first i thought he was joking and then i realized he, he wasn't and you know so talk about that a little bit jt obviously fly racing uh steve reaches out to you you uh you guys to help out with main event moto and numerous other numerous other um moto industry people shows whatever uh, there's always somebody wanting something hell i uh hit you up yesterday about something um how do you find that line you know where okay you know we can do this but we can't do that it's got to be tough sometimes 
Yeah, I think there's two things there. You know, one, you know, uh, the industry that Killian's in is not directly related to Moto, right? right? They're in their own mountain bike space, which you can you can definitely argue there's some crossover there. But if he gives mountain bike parts and helps you somebody there, it's not going to tr- directly translate into sales per se because it's not the same product. Uh, so there's one thing, and then two, it really just comes down to your company philosophy. You know, I'm I'm very fortunate that our owner is very generous, and he believes in giving back. You know, he he knows our our company has been blessed, and we're growing and progressing, and he is very okay with helping those to continue that success and spread you know the the message of the products we have. So uh, I don't know that that you know, from the top down to Killian, or if he just decided that on his own. But I know for our company, that is, we are almost the polar opposite of that. Within reason, we try to help as many people as we can. Right, yeah, and I, yeah, that's why, again, like you said, it was, it was sort of took Steve back and myself, but, um, A-Ray, let's, let's move on to the next topic that I, uh, you know, Atlanta this week, big topic, Eli... Tomax spazzing out, <laughs> you know, uh, we saw him get a bad start. Travis Preston says, you know, Hey, he, he spazzed out. He kind of lost his mind a little bit. Steve talked about, you know, with the incident with Barsha, he was, he's basically just running from Barsha. He wanted to get away. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because that's, that's how I saw it. Um, he, he definitely had one of those moments that we kind of come to expect from Eli where he just isn't, you know, the, the calm, cool, collective Eli he just does something weird and that seemed to be what happened Saturday night oh yeah Sorry. uh so like I mean yeah yeah like I said I mean you could see he got a bad start and then he's like oh man oh man I gotta I gotta get to the front and uh and you know with you know what Travis was saying he spazzed out I guess you know he got in a hurry mm-hmm. and you know he's like man I gotta pass these guys you know and I think he made uh a couple bad decisions um, you know, and that sort of, you know, left him on the ground and then, you know, the whole, the whole thing with Barsha. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, like Travis was saying, like he spazzed out and that's when you just make a bunch of mistakes. But I think he cooled down a little bit, like midway through the race. And that's whenever he started to find his flow back, you know, right. it wasn't a typical Eli, like back in the day where like, if he made one mistake, it just turned into two, three, four five mistakes, you know throughout the race yeah let me ask you this a race so we we've kind of heard jt and steve's opinion on the barsha davalos thing uh the eli barsha thing at san diego uh you know i really didn't have any problem with either issue between barsha and eli this weekend but i definitely did not like i thought the move that took out baggett and eli together was way too aggressive um that you know just I, it was an accident waiting to happen. I just didn't feel like it was the appropriate time or place the way he made that pass. Um, what do you think as a professional? Uh, well, I mean, the way that turn was, I, I don't know. They keep prepping. They keep prepping the berms. Like before the main event, they'll pre- they prep that berm a lot, like throughout the night, so you could go three three onto the table right there. Mm-hmm. But what happened was it it made the turn have less ruts. And it blew out the top to where you had to cut down to hit that three. Right. So, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, he may have left the door open, bag it, but he had to cut down to hit that three. I mean, that's what that's what the main line was. But in, you know, in other words, he also 
had to know that there was like five people behind him. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he's on a factory 450. I mean, he can pretty much hit that three in from a dead stop because it wasn't that bad of a three in. Um, so if I, if it were me personally, I, I would have sort of tried to been aware of, you know, who was behind me and where they were. Well, he was aware that Marsha was behind him. Yeah, 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 for <laughs> sure. So I, I don't know if I would have let the door open. Oh, you mean Baggett. Yeah, yeah, you meant Baggett. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just felt like, JT, I felt like Eli didn't leave Blake really anywhere to go. Well, it's one of those things where you're, you always have to assess your your entry angle. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're coming, when you're coming into the corner, you basically have to say, okay, where do I think this guy's going to go? You know, in that scenario, Eli's trying to figure out where Blake's going to go. And then, you know, all these things are happening in a split second, but you're like, okay, if he goes outside, where does that put me? If he cuts back down hard, where does that put me? Well, when Eli chooses that entry angle going in, like he basically jumps that last double and turns hard left mm-hmm. or whatever it was, he's committing to the point of no return if Blake cuts down, right? So he's obviously thinking Blake's going to rail around the turn and then exit on the outside of it and three in. But when Blake pivots and cuts down, it's like worst-case scenario. There, There's nowhere for either one of them to go. Eli's already committed. Blake doesn't know that Eli's coming in at that angle. And then it's just like both of them surprise each other at the last second. And, yeah, they're both going down at that point. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, I think Blake has a small percentage, by, you know, of Blake by cutting down. But, really, the, the onus is on Eli there to make sure – you know, that he, he has an opportunity to, to turn there, right? You yeah. have to always assume the worst. And I, I don't know if he, he really cared if he made contact or not, but if you go in that hard and that sharp, you know you're going to make, like, super hard contact. And, and once he cut down, it was pretty much a done deal. Right. So Steve, Steve said he really didn't see anything wrong with it, um, which is where I, I disagreed with him a little bit. Um, but, again, so basically, uh, what, what do you feel like, do you feel like there was anything wrong at all, JT? Or was that just, you know I mean? I mean, it's, it's aggressive for sure. You know, like but not overly over- aggressive. I think I think if, if Blake doesn't cut back down, yeah. you don't hear much about it, right? True, it true. was like the, the perfect storm of things to go wrong. And you have to you have to imagine if you're Blake going into that turn, you don't really know Eli's right there because he really wasn't right behind him. And you cut, you cut down trying to you're worried about the guy in front of you right boys trying to make a pass forward and you cut down and then all of a sudden you just get drilled by a cowie that you didn't even have any idea was there right so you're super pissed in the moment you haven't done tv yet all you know is you cut down and then you just got drilled by a guy that you already had serious issues with in the past anyway it's it's really hard to not assume the worst there uh and you know i was in that truck after the race they were very very pissed um and i think it's hard to it's hard to do in the vacuum too because they do have a very uh, tenuous relationship. It's it's not been good there for a very long time. Right. Do you, when you have people that are already a powder keg for each other, and you put a hard a hard takeout in there like that, it's immediately going to explode. Even if it wasn't maybe as bad as, as you immediately thought, anyway. Yeah, the only thing I was really mad about was that I had Blake on my fantasy team, which went to total sh- <laughs> went for me. to total yep. sh- shit that night. I I think I scored like one fifty three. It was horrible, horrible night. Yeah. 
Um, I do think it should be noted, though, that uh, I see some moves by Eli, him just jumping hard left there. A huge part of that was having Barsha behind him. Oh, yeah. I think that can't can't be overstated that he was, I don't know if panic's the right word, but he was definitely, his urgency level rocketed through the roof when Barsha, when he realized Barsha was behind him and going to be taking shots at him. Totally. So, totally That agree. was probably the biggest factor in all Yeah, I agree with that. Behind him. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Trey Carnar for just a minute. Um, obviously, former factory rider, now testing for factory Honda. Um, another guy who found a place uh, life after racing, right, which we've talked about a few times tonight. Um, JT, you kind of mentioned that you wish he had talked about lap time comparison, um, and I didn't really ask you exactly what you meant. Do you mean between like what he's doing and what uh, Brayton and Kenny are doing, or between Brayton and Kenny, what, what were you uh, uh, actually meaning? So, you know, when you're, when you have a test guy that's really good, like, like Trey is, right? Trey, if Trey wanted to race this year, he could go out there and be a top 10 guy. No problem, right? If they, if Honda decided to put him on the team or maybe better. Uh, so I think, I always think it's interesting when a guy like that is doing all of this riding because he's out there putting in hard laps too, because he has to simulate what the bike is doing. I know that Trey has always been a guy that just puts in insanely fast laps of the practice track. So I wish that Steve would have asked him, like, hey, what, is, what does the stopwatch say when you and Justin and, and Kenny are all out there? What does the, what the, a normal day uh, look like on the stopwatch? Because mm. I, I would bet you that Trey is right there, if not as good as Kenny. That's interesting because I've wondered that, too. I talked to Trey, I think, maybe two years ago. When he first started doing it, I, I, was, I was curious if – once you're done racing, you know, like he is, and he's not putting in pr- probably anywhere near the same amount of training that, that the, you know, Kenny is, uh, that, like, does that fall off a little bit? And how does that compare? How do, you know, when he's out there riding at maybe, say, 80% or whatever, how does that work for a guy like Kenny who's at 100%? I always kind of wondered how that translates. So you saying that he's probably still putting in similar lap times, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that, to be honest. I, I would have thought he'd be well, off quite a bit. I would bet you that he's riding, actually riding on the motorcycle more than he was when he was racing. Yeah. Because he he doesn't have to be at a peak on Saturday. He doesn't have to worry about being strong on Saturdays or overtraining or any of that stuff, right? So his riding time is probably higher than ever right now. But if you're asking, could he do that pace for 21 minutes? No. I I would highly doubt that he can, right? But as far as one lap speed, I bet it's pretty damn high right now because all he does is ride. And have to push, you know, push the bike and put it through its paces. And I mean, that that speed and talent doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I would just, I would doubt he could do it for as long as Kenny can. I don't think that's, you know, that's really a fair assessment. Okay, uh, a Ray. So you you were at Factory Yamaha for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I believe at the time Travis Preston was still doing some of the testing and stuff. Um, did any of that ever translate over to you as a rider? Did they ever say, hey, here's some settings, you know, and because, again, being a non-professional rider, I always think, well, these guys ride differently. There's different styles. Does that really help having even somebody giving you a baseline that's like, hey, this works for me? Because if you ride completely different, I would think it wouldn't even matter. But, uh, again, I'm just – I have zero skills, so we've seen that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I, did, I did some of that whenever I was at Yamaha. Uh, you know, like I remember one day I got to Glen Helen at like 8.30 in the morning, and I didn't leave there until dark. I mean, I tested probably okay. 10 sets of forks, five shocks, linkages, everything, you know. And, you know, and I 
I found, you know, a lot of good stuff that you know, we took on the weekends that Barsha put on his bike. I mean, I think that day we found a linkage that we ran with uh, the rest of the year, both of us, uh, me and Barsha, uh, and and Coop as well, you know. So, I mean, you know, I think it's real beneficial, you know, to have someone like Trey at Honda, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and me too, to touch on um, what JT was saying about the last time, mm-hmm. I was – you know, I was um, preseason. I was still at the Suzuki track, right above Honda. So, I mean, during my breaks, I would go over and I would watch the guys, and I would see Trey put in laps, man. And like, and I think I don't know if it was it was Travis or or Steve um, mentioned the the scrubbing. Yes, how yes. he just flicks, flicks the bike over the jump. It's like watching like <laughs> Jesus ride a motorcycle. It's <laughs> amazing whenever he's out there on the bike i mean even whenever he was testing the two stroke for kenny before straight rhythm man it was it was exciting to watch just up there on the, at the test track you know i mean he's 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 definitely still got it yeah he said i kind of just yeah. slide off the face of the jumps <laughs> with the scrubs oh yeah yeah he, yeah Trey's I mean, a... and, dude, and the whoops and the whoops down there are gnarly too uh. like i mean they're the biggest biggest ones at any of the test tracks and mm. he was just hitting those things every lap you know i mean he had to i mean that's his job so right you know he he is still he still got it that's for awesome sure. all right three more quick talk topics we'll do these kind of rapid fire um killian's race tech rant on guys that have been not making the night show but they're still trying to get out there they've been doing it for seven or eight years time to just give it up um i'm more on keepers i like keepers thought process on this man if you're out there if you can afford to do it and it's your passion just keep doing it. What's it matter? Um, I didn't really agree with that, JT. I didn't. I didn't think. I don't see why he has that a feeling. I don't know what it matters. Uh, I'm cool with it as long as you have a plan B, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you're not mortgaging your future, you know, selling everything you own and and not getting an education or not put, doing anything where you're going to have a, a chance, you know, a second chance at life once racing's over, I'm good with it, you know, because there are a lot of people who they work during the week, they ride when they can, they go race on the weekend, no problem, right? I just, and this, this goes for a lot of the parents out there that have their kids and they're pulling them out of school and they're selling everything they own and going to MTF or Club MX or whatever, man, you really got to rethink this whole plan. <laughs> right. There's just not, there's not enough money and there's not, uh, enough, there aren't enough spots out there, which A-Ray knows all too well. You know, you're you're almost mortgaging everything for something that doesn't exist. Um, you know, it exists for a very small few, you know, five to ten guys at most yeah. are making enough money where it's worth that risk, but you can be an incredibly good, and most of these kids are never going to be as good as A-Ray is, and A-Ray can tell you firsthand how hard it is to make any money to make it worth doing, so... I'm cool with it. I just don't want to see people make decisions that are going to inhibit, you know, the rest of their life to do it. Okay. Uh, A-Ray, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, you look at it like AJ Catanzaro, like my teammate. I mean, he's he's doing good. I mean, he's making the night shows and stuff like that. Um, you know, and he's getting better each week. But, you know, there's been times where he hasn't qualified the best and, and stuff like that. But racing Supercross isn't his main income you know he he has a job during the week you know he trains kids you know monday through thursday and then flies to the race on the weekend you know i mean he has a good platform there 
you know, and, you know, some of these guys, you know, they do have a plan B, and some of them don't, obviously, but, I mean, I mean, but I, I feel like that's just on the person's decision. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, I get where Killian's coming from. He's like, yo, dude, just give it up. Like, <laughs> what are you still doing out there? But, but at the same time, man, these people, they, they love to ride their bikes. They yep. love to race. I mean, how can you tell someone just like, hey, dude, hang it up, you know, and then like, and then what, you know, like. That's how I, I felt. Know, like, I agree. That's how I felt. I was just curious if either one of you uh, agreed. Um, okay, two more things. The tough blocks idea from Mathis. JT, you and Steve, man, you butt heads. You go back and forth on all his crazy ideas. Um, I don't think this idea is too bad. I think it's a, probably a good idea, but probably would be also a financially somewhat expensive idea if Feld was to do something like that, and they don't seem to be super keen on that. But uh, thoughts on his tough block idea? I'm okay with making changes. Um, you know, the tough part of this is that a huge reason why people crash on the weekends and, and get hurt more than they do a practice track is because of tough blocks. They land on them, they get kicked out in front of people, they line the sides of the track, so if something does go wrong, you can't easily just jump off the track. Right? They, they do cause chaos and havoc out there. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go away, though, because they're a huge advertising platform, uh, and it's just, it's just one of those things where it they line the track and sponsors pay crazy amounts of money to have their names displayed on them. So they're not going to go anywhere. Right. I'm good with, I'm good with changes. I just don't know that this bucket and tray and whatever idea <laughs> that he has is necessarily the right one. Um, but I, I will give him credit for thinking that, cause I don't have a better answer, you know, so thinking of something I'm all for, I just, I don't think his answer, you know, he, he's so black and white with stuff. He thinks yeah. his answer is the only answer. Um, I just don't know that he's landed on exactly what the right the right solution is. Hey Ray, um, I mean, even uh, the the base, the bucket, the tray idea is one idea, but also I li- I like the triangular idea. Um, I mean, it works in the GPS. It seems a little bit. Uh, you've you've landed on a few tough blocks. <laughs> what would you? I've like? probably got the I've probably got the record for hitting <laughs> most tough blocks in a year. I've hit crazy amounts of tough blocks. You know, like I mean it's. There's been times where they've saved me. There's been times where they bit me in the ass. Right. You know, so, I mean, I'm all for a change. You know, I mean, like, even like Trick and Archie touched on, you know, him having his bad wrecks and, and stuff like that, uh, you know, due to, um, you know, the tough blocks, you know, dragging the foot pegs and stuff like that. And, and Steve was saying something about make it triangular. And uh, it, it's a funny story. Actually, Rankin Jericho, the one who was on, uh, supposed to be on the show tonight, he was telling me a story about Trey actually coming up with one of those like triangular where it was slanted like a mm-hmm. like a, a yeah like a slanted thing to be on the side of the triple, and he was telling Bogle like, "Hey, dude, like, can you get closer and keep getting closer to this tough block to see if it, it drags your foot peg?" <laughs> yeah, and and like now they have on the on the faces of the jumps they do have a shorter um a shorter tough block like on the faces of the jumps. And uh, I think that was, had a little bit to do with what Trey, um, the, Trey's design and, and meetings and stuff that he had with Whitfield. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm all for a change. You know, I actually I I tried to picture what Steve was was saying with the tray. Um, but I just yeah with the tray, but I don't see how it would sort of work. They would have to like dig out like all the way up the jumps and everything like a full trench to put it in there. I feel like I don't know that that would be a lot. I mean in and it would be 
a pretty big financial burden, I think, for for the uh, the supercross people. So yeah. I don't know how how well it would work, but I mean, like like JT said, I'm I'm game for a change too because man, when they get kicked out <laughs> into the track and you're already committed to something, there's nowhere you can go but pray and pucker your ass. Right. Dude. Right. All right. Last topic. Uh, Steve Mathis versus Chris Kiefer one lap challenge at Western getting 13 seconds JT uh, who wins I don't know the, the battle seems to be between 13 and 15 seconds uh, is what I, what I keep hearing about I think they changed um, it to 13 is what I well, that's what they said this weekend or Monday anyway yeah if, it depends on which keeper shows up if uh <laughs> Outdoors keeper shows up, Steve wins easily. If normal <laughs> keeper that rides in the high desk shows up, I think keeper wins pretty easy. Okay. Uh, A-Ray? I'm the same with, with JT on that one. I mean, keeper's more more of like a diesel engine, you know? Like, I mean, he takes a bit to get warmed up. I mean, is it just one lap or does it, like, does he get numerous lap yeah. times? Does he have all day to set a lap time? Well, we also does that ha- lap time should come like 25 minutes into a moto. Right. And what we also have to take into account, are they going to start from a gate? Because it took Steve like 10 seconds to get off the gate at Glen Helen. So he's. <laughs> that is very true. I witnessed that. Oh, well, yeah. I got the video. So, <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But I, I cannot talk about riding technique right now. So, um, all right, guys. That's, uh, I think that's a wrap for episode 417. JT and A-Ray, I appreciate you guys coming on, spending some time with us. It means a lot. I want to thank, once again, Michelin Bicycle Tires, Guts Racing, and Motorsport.com. It was fun, guys, and I think that's a wrap. I appreciate it. All right, boys. All right. All right. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Stay tuned for Hello Pookie. We'll be back next week. We're out of here. Hello Pookie. What's up? It's Chad Reed. Okay, fellow jerkies, find a nice, quiet place and get comfortable. It's time for Hello Pookie. She loves new kids on the block, Howard Stern and Adam C. and Cirillo. She's Pookie Mathis. Hello, hello. All right, we have another question. This is our next question from Softball Dad. JT talked about it a little bit, but can Pookie give some insight on JT and Steve's friendship? How did they meet? What's that like? You've seen it grow over the years. Man, Steve and JT have been friends literally forever, forever and ever, ever since I can remember. Um, I'm trying to think how they even met. I don't even know. Do you know how they met? You know, it would have been like before he was working for Nick even. Yeah, I I believe it was just through racing, you know, when JT was a privateer. Yeah, it must have been just privateer. I don't know how they became such good friends, though, because, I mean, you know both of them now, like. Why are you guys friends? <laughs> I yeah. mean, I know why they're friends, but yeah, sometimes you wonder with them. But they're almost I, like I brothers. Don't remember. I don't remember how they met. Um, I remember my first early memories of JT are when I was living in Phoenix, which would have been when I was 21 years old. So like the year 2000, 2001, maybe 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I can remember that Steve and him were friends. So he was already, you know, I think on subway or something by then. So he had already not been a privateer, but. Yeah, Steve and JT have just been long, long time friends. They've they've never really had any period of time that I can remember where they weren't talking. Um, I mean, now they are, you know are in business together and they have lots and lots of you know in, to do with each other yeah. throughout the day. I, mean, I don't know who he talks to more in a day, me, Weege, or <laughs> JT. Like it's got to be one of us three. 
Well, I, I see it as almost like a, you're a brother, right? They're just, they love each other, but they exactly. never agree. And it almost seems like sometimes on purpose, like, well, uh, he said, we're going left. I'm going right. Exactly. I mean, it works for them, though. I mean, yeah, you know, and sometimes I think that Steve's maybe going to push JT too far because Steve <laughs> is, you know, like I said, always kind of like, that's ah, a five, even when it seems like it's getting worse. But JT will, like, really get mad about some shit. So, right, right. You know, it doesn't ever seem to bother them. JT comes and stays at our house all the time, many couple times a year, um, you know, even for vacations. And, uh, you know, we go vacation with him and, you know, just our personal life and stuff. So, yeah, they're just like you said, brothers, but yeah, best friends for sure. I know they talk about the wedding a lot and if he's going to be in the wedding, but like, yeah, it's it's him. They're, they're together. Life, life partners for sure. (laughs) Yeah. They, they definitely have a mutual respect. Uh, and you could see, yeah, that even though they don't like usually get along, JT doesn't always agree with the, uh, the rants and opinions that Steve has that he still has a, a massive respect for Steve. Yeah, I think you can definitely tell that, too, and that, yeah. that helps them a lot with their, their friendship deal they have going on. But it works. I love yeah. them. Yeah. Absolutely. Why would you want to talk, re-talk about the Pulp Show? Tea and me.